the Arepa Lady, Momos from Tibet, and the meeting of Chinese bakeries and Mexican bakeries in Queens, New York. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we visit a different place and talk about the dishes and drinks that make it unique. This time, we're in Queens, New York, a place where you can get any kind of dish you've ever heard of and thousands that you never knew existed any time of the day or night. And my guest for our Queens foodie adventure is East Snyder Aravallo. East Snyder and his family originally came from Colombia, but East Snyder's made his home in Queens for 35 years. And when East Snyder isn't playing with his hardcore punk band Wasipungo, He's giving food tours for culinary backstreets in Queens. And E. Snyder and I have a wide-ranging conversation that starts with music and Flushing's favorite sons, the Ramones. And then we weave into Queens' amazing food scene from the best dosa place to Himalayan food from Nepal and Bhutan to the famous Arapa Lady of Queens and the menu guides at the Ecuadorian food carts. We also learn Thai in a local grocery store. I'm telling you, E. Snyder and I cover a lot of ground. So let's jump into it. Destination Eat Drink. E. Snyder, thank you for being on Destination Eat Drink today. You have, uh, you know, I've talked to so many people doing this podcast. You have what might be one of the most unique backstories of anybody that I've ever talked to. You started off in the Colombian metal music scene and you're in the yeah. hardcore punk scene in New York, but you also do, uh, you're also a foodie tour guide in Queens, New York. So um, give us a little background about you and how, you know, your music background before we get into the food. Uh, sure. Uh, so I, I grew up in Colombia uh, in, in the Medellin area, so I'm Paisa, which is a particular people of Colombia. Um, I uh, spent half my life in the city in Medellin and, and one huge chunk of it in my grandfather's farm, which is where my f love of food comes from. Um, fresh foods and, and all that. And I started at some point around 79 when I was a really, really young kid, started going to metal punk shows in Colombia. And I became involved in the in the metal punk scene there. And then I came to United States twice before that until I finally uh, left the country for good around 86 and came straight to New York and plugged right into the into the punk scene, uh, uh, the art and, and, and metal scene in the Lower East Side and New York, uh, going to CBGB's, Timpanale, A7, all those early venues. Down in Colombia in the 70s, what kind of music was filtering down there? What kind of music were you listening to that said, I want to get into metal and punk? It's, it's kind of funny. Um, there was a lot of early stuff. It, it was really, it's really fluid, actually. Colombia is a really, you know, has cities like Medellin, Bogotá, Cali, which are actually very cosmopolitan and, and very in tune with what's going on around the world. You know, in the 70s, we were coming from the 60s era of Latin American politics and, and which influenced music, culture and everything. So there was a lot of protest folk music, Violeta Parra, Mercedes Sosa, uh, Victor Jara, all these people from, from South America who were doing very politically charged lyrics. 
um, in Colombia it, that hit really big. And then there was the metal scene. Um, there was uh, an early, our uh, Woodstock was actually in, in 73, mm. uh, called El Festival de Ancon, the Ancon Festival. It was where all the hippies mm. and all the beatniks and all that got together for this huge festival. So there was already a huge scene, a lot of bands and a lot of people involved. You're in Queens or you do a lot of your tour, uh, your food tours in Queens. And when I think of Queens and music, the first thing I think of is the Ramones, maybe the most influential band to come out of New York ever. And <laughs> those guys, you know, they all came from Queens in a little couple of block area. And it's, it's strange because, you know, I think Ramones really don't get all the credit that they deserve. And I was trying to look it up. I was trying to see if there was like a Ramones Memorial or Ramones Museum. The only Ramones Museum I'm aware of, and we saw this when we were in Berlin years ago, they have a Ramones Museum in Berlin, but it doesn't look like there's anything dedicated to the Ramones in Queens. No, there is there is a street in Manhattan. Um, that's about it, right by CBGB's, um, or where CBGB's used to be, which is now a, a really upscale store yeah uh, and the Ramones were actually originally from Forest Hills um, just a stone throw away from where I'm where I'm right now in, in Jackson Heights uh, so they used to be there is a really famous picture of them riding the subway to CBGB's to one of the first gigs like they don't even have guitar cases they're carrying their cases in their hands um, yeah so so they are right right close by from the working class area of Forest Hills which is a middle upper class back uh, neighborhood um, the Queens Museum did an excellent um, uh, Ramones exhibit, and I hope that that will pan out into a more permanent exhibit or maybe branch out somewhere else, but that's still in the air. But yeah, the Ramones were, were quite influential here, um, and, and people still, I mean, you see the shirts everywhere and you see the, the, the signs everywhere that the Ramones were such a, such a mark here. Could there be a museum? I would love to see one, uh, hopefully in Queens. Uh, like I said, the Queens Museum, which is in, in uh, Flushing Meadows Park, did a great exhibit. So I know there is enough material there for it. Or at least a statue. It would be so great to see a statue of those four guys, uh, you know, all together somewhere in somewhere in Queens or Flushing or something. Right. Or at least a venue or something that, that, you know, a statue and a venue to go along with it and foster new bands. I mean, there is a great music scene here. There is things that are happening. You know, when people say the new music is, is you know, the greatest music is not, you know, what's getting the awards is these kids in their basement or their garages or whatever playing new music. And because of the diversity that Queens has, uh, you hear things that I think are going to blow up in the next, you know, few months or years that you don't hear anywhere else. Like you hear these kids mixing Bangra music with Colombian, Afro, um, Afro-Colombian drum beats with English, Hindi, and Spanish lyrics. Cool. Uh, you hear these kids mixing punk and, and, you know, Nepali music. You hear, so, you know, it's natural for them. It's the diversity is who we are. So we're going to start hearing a lot of great stuff. Right now, for example, the, the, here in Queens, one of the biggest punk scenes in, in the punk music uh, is um, Filipino punk. Oh, wow. There is this great Filipino punk bands coming up. There is one called Material Support, Namatai Sangai. They are all, they are based in Queens and they are, they sing in Tagalog uh, and English and they are doing fantastic music. So let's talk a little bit about the diversity in Queens. Queens might be 
the most diverse place in all of the United States. Tell me a little bit about all the different cultures, languages, and religions that are mixing together in this little area. Well, it said it's not just one of the most, it's the most diverse uh, place you could find anywhere in the world. Um, we have, uh, you know, so many languages in, in New York City. Uh, the New York City public school system, they recognize or they talk officially about kids who speak 245 different languages. The Endangered Language Alliance, which is this um, fascinating group that studies languages around the world, but they specialize on doing it uh, here in New York after they realize that they could find just about anything here, including languages that are dead in their place of origin. They had only spoken in New York now. Wow. So, so, and they have a brilliant documentary about that. So if you can look up, uh, people want to look up Endangered Language Alliance, and they have a documentary about the languages they found here. Uh, so they put the number around 600 for New York City. Um, there is languages that, uh, there's uh, a local church here that uh, does services twice a week in Tiwi, which is an African language. I didn't know you, you there was enough Tiwi speakers in New York to have services twice a week, yet that's what we have. Um, so the funny thing when it comes to, to food, for example, if you tell me I want to come down to eat, I ask, I'll ask you what continent, what country, <laughs> and, and not only what country, I'll say, do you want, like, if you just say, oh, you want to have some Thai food, I'll say Northern Thai, Southern Thai, you right, know, right, it's, right. it's I, we can get that specific. Um, if you ask me Colombian, I'll say from Cali, from Valle, from Paisa food, from da, 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 and then I'll pick a place to go. Um, and we're not talking about, it's not like, oh, let's get in a car and drive there. No, I'm going to be, I'm going to pick a place that's a 10 minute walk from me. So we don't have to go far. So let's talk a little bit about some of these different cuisines that are available to us when we visit Queens. Tell me about you know, let, let's pick one and uh, mm -hmm. let's let's analyze it a little bit. So I'll let you, dealer's choice, E. Snyder, you tell me uh, one of your favorites and let's talk about some of the options that are available to us. Like if you say, let's let's go have Indian food per se, I'll, I'll say, are we going to have Southern or Northern Indian food? Are you vegetarian? Um, because we have places like Samudra, which is a 10-minute walk from me. That's an exclusively vegetarian place, and, and we can have pakoras and, and, and curries and dosas. Uh, if you like dosas, actually, we have Dosa Delight, which they only specialize on making the best dosas in New York City, which means probably one of the best dosas in the world. And that's, again, a 10-minute walk from my house. Oh, I love dosa. And, and so dosas is, you know, the, the, the crepe, the little crispy, and then you can get uh, the pondicherry dosa or the curry potato dosa. And, uh, you know, even if you go vegan, you just tell them I don't want any dairy and they'll take care of you. And and if you want uh, good meats, you go down the street to um, Kababish, which is one of the local uh, Desi places. And we can have kebabs, uh, really amazing curry dishes. Um, I love my standard is, see, I pick from every cuisine. I pick a standard that I try at every restaurant. Um, so if it's an Indian place or a, a Desi place, Southeast Asian place, I'll go for chicken tikka masala. Um, and I order that at every place um, so that I, I have an idea of, of how they prepared it. What is their take on it? Uh, same with the samosas. If I want to have a snack, I'll have a samosa. I know Itari Garden, which is on 73rd and Diversity Plaza, will have nuts in it. Um, if I have a friend who says I don't want nuts, I'll just walk seriously 
30 seconds right next door <laughs> and I'll get another samosa that has no nuts in it. Um, and then if I go, uh, or let's say even dumplings, uh, because the, the, the communities, for example, 74th Street, it's all Indian on one side, there's Bangladesh, Pakistan um, in one side. And then there's a lot of Himalayans on the other side. So a lot of Tibet, Bhutan, Nepal. Um, so we can just go right next door and have uh, Tibetan momos, the dumplings. I wanted to ask you about those the momos from Tibet. D- describe yeah. them for me. What, what's in them and how are they prepared? So the Tibetan momos are steamed. These are dumplings. They are steamed. They're they quite different than the um, uh, Chinese dumpling that has a thinner uh, outer, that's thinner shell. These are a little thicker. They are usually steamed. Um, the traditional one, and this is where, where they, they started breaking a little bit of the implicit rule of 74th and Roosevelt, because uh, one side is all Hindi and the other side is all Muslim. So most restaurants don't have pork or beef. Mm. Uh, the Tibetans started making beef momos uh, on one side. So you can get beef momo, which is the more traditional one. It's like a little amazing meatball inside this momo. Uh, the street ones that you get on the trucks, because we have we have to talk about street food. You know, we'll we'll go back to that because there is a lot of street food. New York City is about street food. So you you can get the street momos, which are the, the regular uh, steam one, and you can get beef, like I said, the most traditional one, chicken, vegetables, there's potatoes, aloo, uh, and all that. And if you go into one of the sit-down places, two minutes away, um, you can go downstairs and you grab uh, soup momos. Uh, which is the same momo we just serve it with a little delicious, a little spicy curry soup. Uh, so it'll be more soupy. You grab a spoon and you actually sit down as opposed to the street ones where you just grab the plate and you kind of stand there grabbing them with your fingers and a really spicy Szechuan kind of sauce and a little yogurt-like um, thin sauce to cut down a little bit of the spiciness if, you get, if it gets a little too hot. We're in the Himalayas. Before we get to street food, we're in the Himalayas now with Tibetan mm-hmm. dishes. What about uh, Bhutan? You said that there are Bhutanese restaurants. There is, there is Bhutanese. Um, they don't have. They usually attach themselves to the to the Tibetan to the other Himalayans. Um, so I don't have uh, like a particular dish. I could say this is absolutely exclusively Bhutanese, and there is a Bhutanese grocery store. Where they do sell uh, a few snacks, uh, I got um, a little curry pastry there once, um, and and I think that's a cuisine that's about to like something is about to happen. That's the thing about Queens. It's I, I don't know how to explain how diversity is that anything new twist on it. We're like, oh my god, we have to try that. So Bhutanese is is coming up, and I'm, I'm certain something is about to open. We do have the latest one I discovered was Burmese. Okay. Uh, there is a great Burmese place on the entrance of the 73rd Street station. Uh, there used to be a Burmese cart uh, on Court Square, uh, which is Long Island City. And there used to be years ago, we're talking, I don't know, 20 years ago, a small Bhutanese, re- uh, sorry, a small um, uh, restaurant for, from Burma in the in the Lower East Side. But now we have our own uh, Burmese place. Um, it's great. I had... It's kind of funny. I walked in there and I asked for, I pointed at one of the stews and I say, can I have that? And, and she was really reluctant. And she <laughs> said, you know, it's, it's cow feet. It's cow feet. And I say, I, I'd oh. love to try it. And, and, and she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I, you know, 
please, this is, this is what I'm here for. I don't want, because he tried to stir me to the beef curry. And I say, no, I, I want to go for, if you have something even more peculiar than that, more interesting, I'll even try that. So she was really happy to serve me that. Um, really interesting people. I mean, and they were going, you know, she, they, and it's like, a, they, these places become gathering place for their communities. Um, so there was a lot of kids coming in and out uh, because there's a huge uh, movement now because of the coup d'etat there. Um, the military is in power. So the community is gathering there to exchange news. How are things in the country? How's your family? So I was just sitting there in the middle of all this. I mean, all these languages flying around me. And she gave me this amazing coffee stew with steamed rice. And then I got a, a coconut cake to finish it, uh, to have dessert, so to speak. And she said, we usually have this with tea. So they'll explain to you how to have it. You know, you say you point at the cake and she said, oh, you cannot have it by itself. And I, what do you mean? And she's like, you got to have some tea. So she made me some some uh, Burmese tea on the spot and I finished my meal. So, yeah, a really amazing people and really amazing place. Uh, again, all in the same block. We're still, we haven't even left that block. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned uh, street food. Let's talk a little bit about street food. What are we talking about? Are we talking about carts? Are we talking about uh, trucks, food trucks? Uh, how do we get it? And what are some of our different options? It sounds like they're limitless, Snyder. It's, it's tremendous. Um, food carts, and I have to tell you, I'm really biased about this. So everybody knows. Because my mom is actually the one that's really, really, really famous in the New York City foodie scene. Um, because she started in a push cart. Okay. Her name is uh, Pidal Cano. And she's actually known in the food world as the Arepa Lady. So if people Google Arepa Lady, I mean, her story is going to come up. Uh, she started as a, as a push cart vendor. And, and push carts and trucks and all this, well, first push carts are the, the port of entry of a lot of people into the economy before yes. they can afford a brick and mortar. Yeah, it's very cheap to just buy a push cart. You don't have to worry about rent or anything like that. You just right. get a push cart and you get a you get a license from the city and you're ready to ready to rock. Yeah, well, that's the thing about the license. It's quite difficult to get a license oh. uh, here in New York City. Okay. There is only a limited amount. The number hasn't gone up since the mid-80s. And it's one of the things we're asking as a community that they increase the number of licenses. A proposition just passed that they are going to finally revise the number of licenses so people can legally work on the street, which is fantastic. Because again, this is how people start, you know, this is as an, the American story. People, you pull yourself by the bootstraps. You you start your push card, you build it up, and then you open a brick and mortar, which is my mom's story. And it's been the story of New York ever since the first immigrants arrived here. We're talking every community that's made their home in, in New York City at some point, the Jewish community, the Italian community, the Irish community, uh, through Ellis Island into the Lower East Side, uh, they all had push carts and they all had street vending and then they moved on. They went elsewhere in the United States uh, and, and raised their families and all that. That's all, you know, it's the same story. It's exactly the same story. Um, so we had every country has had people had pushcars, Mexican pushcars, Colombians, Peruvian, uh, Indian, Bangladeshi, and so on. So you find that diversity in the pushcars. Um, you can walk down the street. You can walk on Roosevelt. Roosevelt Avenue is the main artery that cuts through through this central part of Queens. Um, if you walk on Roosevelt Avenue, and, and then I encourage people to get off Roosevelt Avenue and go to 37th Avenue and go to Broadway, uh, you're going to find 
Filipino pushcart, Mexican, Indian, Bangladeshi, uh, take your pick. And then people ask me, how will I pick the best one? Well, if you do my walk, I'll take you to what I think are the best ones. Um, but if you just want to walk on your own, just just with this much competition and, and, and they don't cater, none of these restaurants, none of these pushcarts cater to people who are not from their community. So there is, there is a Mexican community, there is a Bangladeshi. So this is who they cater to. So the food is going to be just, just as authentic as you are back in whatever country. Uh, so pick any carp, really. Uh, and then you'll find Mexican tacos, Mexican street tacos. You'll find Colombian arepas. You'll find momos, uh, which we covered. You'll find uh, some Peruvian. Now it's starting to show up a couple of Peruvian. You'll find a lot of Ecuadorian trucks. If you go around Junction Boulevard and Roosevelt Avenue, one, one block before, you'll start to see this long Stream of, of of string of trucks and push carts, and they look different than the others. They are Ecuadorian, and then you can get your your roasted pork, fried pork, uh, blood sausage, uh, delicious drinks like um, quaker, which is a passion fruit uh, drink with uh, thickened with rolled oats blended into it. Oh, uh, you you'll find morocho, which is homemade corn cooked down until soft. With spices, cinnamon cloves, taranese, and allspice, uh, with a little milk thickened with more corn flour. Imagine a rice pudding mix with a chai tea, uh, but instead of rice, you have hominy corn. I like the sound of that. <laughs> so it's quite quite amazing. And and if you don't know the menu, you, you, it's okay. They, they, this is one thing that's pretty particular about Ecuadorians and Ecuadorian pushcart. Uh, the guy who's running the cart and making the food, he's cooking it right there. He's putting it together. But they have this woman and these guys who walk outside the cart with the menu in their hand. So if you don't know the menu, they'll guide you through it. That's their job. So you, you don't have, you don't stand in line going, uh, uh, I don't know what to order or trying to point at things. You stand on the side and this person who works for that particular push card or this truck will come to him with a menu in his, in their hands and they'll say, what do you like to eat? This is our menu. Do you like fish? Do you like meat? And they'll guide you through it and explain things. And then they'll scream the order at the truck guy. <laughs> like once you decide, once you say, oh, I would love to have the fish too. I would like to have the quaker drink I heard on, on, on the podcast. And then they'll scream, you know, don't be startled. They'll do this. They'll go, one quaker, one fish too. And <laughs> and they'll show up in front of you and they'll tell you, oh, it's going to be $10 or whatever. And you pay and then you move aside and the next person, the process starts all over again. I like it. So, yeah. So don't be startled by this lady. She's trying to take care of you. You know, she'll be like, one fish, two coming up and boom. And then, and then you are on your way. One thing that we talk about a lot on the podcast, Snyder, is transplanted cuisine. And when, when I talk about transplanted cuisine, one of the things that I always talk about is when immigrants come to a new country, Oftentimes, they can't get the exact same ingredients that they could from their mother country. And I always use Italian-Americans as an example because it's, it's, it's very – people understand this, that you, know, you couldn't get the same ingredients that you could back in Italy, so you substitute this or you substitute that. These days – in the 21st century, it's much easier to get ingredients from around the world. But my question to you is, is there any of this transplanted cuisine going on, either in the form of fusing together two different cuisines or three different or four different cuisines, or substituting in different ingredients from a 
a mother country recipe into an American style recipe? Well, it's it's a really complicated answer, just like New York, and really <laughs> simple at the same time. Okay. Um, so, it, there, there is a phenomenon, and I want to tell you something. There is a lady I visit in my walk that does Ecuadorian um, cevichocho. Uh, chocho is actually an Italian bean. It's actually lupini beans. Oh. Um, the lupini beans were brought into Ecuador many, many decades ago, and they adopted it as their own. So, so there is fusion cooking in the sense that there is a lot of migration. Like Latin America, for example, uh, we received a lot of Italian and German immigration um, in different times, in points in life. And I want to tell you about the Argentine. I know it's a lot of countries, but I'll tell you a little about the Argentinian and Uruguayan bakeries in a second related to this. Um, so there is that movement. I mean, and we have the black slaves that brought the food and all that. Now, in New York... Um, because now it's people can be more mobile. Before you used to migrate and you would just stay in New York, right? Now you you have you have the internet. People can can see their families. They can chat. Uh, so links remain stronger than they used to, and people can fly. So I visit this one Ecuadorian lady who makes this cevichocho, this lupini bean ceviche, um, which is amazing. I mean, she needs to soak it and cook it for many days. So it's, 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 you know, it's just where she wants it. And then she adds pickle, uh, tomatoes, red onions, cilantro, uh, lime juice, olive oil, salt. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And then she can add a toasted corn, which is, which is very Andean toasted corn and, um, uh, Ecuadorian chili hot sauce. Now, I asked her, oh, this is fantastic. I never tried anything like this. And she flat out, and she's a street vendor. She says, I fly uh, once every two or three months back to my country to pick up ingredients I cannot find here oh, that wow. are good enough. And we're talking a street vendor who's, I mean, she's saving her money to open a brick and mortar. But she flies back home every few months to pick up chili peppers and things she doesn't think are good enough here or doesn't have the quality that she would like to have. That is so a, that's amazing. That so is that's an happened. incredible story. Yeah. Yeah. So they bring these ingredients and you can find when I first moved to New York, to Queens, uh, Casa Rivera is an, an excellent grocery store on 82nd Street. And that used to be our go-to stop to pick up anything we couldn't get here. Now we can get it in everywhere. Like I can go down street to my corner store and he'll have, you know, just about any Colombian product I can find. Now, there is a few things you cannot find because of regulations of imports and exports and all that. One of them, for example, to give you an example, is Papa Criolla, which is a yellow uh, little potato from Colombia. You cannot get that fresh yet. I can get it frozen or I can get it canned, but I cannot get it fresh. Um, so either I get the can or the or the frozen or I substitute for one of the fingerling potatoes or one of the hairling potatoes here. You know, mm -hmm. South America mm -hmm. is the perfect place of potatoes. So, we, you know, Peru has like 400 of them. Right, right. Um, you are starting to see all these varieties here, which is really fantastic. But there is a few you cannot. Now, for fusion cooking, get ready for a roller coaster. <laughs> people get married. People uh, start cooking together. People start visiting each other's bakeries and each other's restaurants. 
and starts liking. And their kids grew up together. When my mom, when my brothers were growing up, my mom gave up on cooking any meats at home. She said, I'm just going to make a vegetarian meal and I'm going to make a roasted chicken aside because I don't, I cannot keep track of telling my brothers, I don't know who your friends are. Some of them are Jewish, some of them are Muslim, some of them are this. So I'll just make a vegetarian meal and, and then I'll cook a chicken and you guys decide and, and let you figure it out. Wow. Um, so that's happening. Uh, you have, for example, Chinese bakeries have this self-service system where you grab a tray and you grab tongs and you put things on your tray and then you go pay, right? Uh, Mexican bakeries have the exact same, same system. You grab a tray and then you grab breads and you put them in your tray and then you go to the counter. So it's quite easy for a Chinese person to go, oh, it's the same system. I just walk in, grab a tray and grab a few breads that I want to try, right? And then the Mexicans adapted to, to a lot of um, Chinese bakeries the same way. Oh, you just walk in, you grab a tray, right? So what happened then, the next step is then the Chinese bakeries started making Mexican breads, <laughs> like conchas, which is a little sweet brioche with a little uh, sugar and flour on top. Um, so they started making those for the Mexican customers. And the, the Mexican bakeries started adapting to the Chinese customers. Now, Colombian bakeries have something called buñuelos, which is different in every country because there's something brought by the Spanish during the conquista. Uh, but the Colombian buñuelo is a, is a, is a cornbread that is fried and is generally round, dark, golden, crisp outside, soft and chewy inside. It's corn flour, cheese, and it's deep fried. I think of it, some people say it's like a savory donut, you know, like crunching the outside and all that and really chewing the middle. Anyway, Indians um, have something very similar, but it's smaller, and they dip it in syrup. And then a friend of mine who's Indian said, oh, I have to stop by the bakery and get some of the small buñuelos. And I got really curious, and I asked, why? It's like, oh, because it's the same as my dish. Uh, I just don't have time to make them. So I use that, which is really close. I just make the syrup. So you have these South uh, Desi communities going into Colombian bakeries, and then they, they see other things that we like to try, like the pan de bono, the, the wheat and cheese pastry, very similar to the Brazilian pau de queijo. So because it's similar to pau de queijo from Brazil, Brazilians go into Colombian bakeries to get them. Then Colombians start getting to Brazilian restaurants because they have we have here Brazilian restaurants, which are like the... The uh, per kilo, a kilo they call it in Brazil. Uh, so you grab, it's like a buffet, and then you get charged by the weight. And then you go to the grilled man who does the grill, the Brazilian grilled meats. So Colombians started doing that. And so you start having them making things that Colombians will enjoy. So they attract more Colombians. And then you have Brazilians because uh, there is Brazilian places right on 75th. They start going to the Indian place and trying that and, and, for example, Colombians, we don't eat traditionally spicy foods, but we're starting to learn spicy foods because we want to try Mexican food and that guy takes us to Indian food. So then you have, they used to be, unfortunately closed, there used to be a Colombian Indian restaurant um, that was a couple, a married couple. Uh, she was Colombian, he was Indian. So they started making their food mixed together. So those are the fusions that are happening. <laughs> um, there is a Mexican bakery, uh, Becky's, which is a lovely place. I go to them during our walks. Uh, one of their children is married to a Colombia lady. So if you walk, the, the savory menu is all Mexican from Puebla, uh, mole poblano, uh, the, the mole from Puebla and all that. But if you look at the baked goods, there is a lot of Colombian items there. There is, a, and then because of the Mexican Colombian, you're starting to see, 
the Colombian pastries are, are more moist, are more cheesy. Um, they are not as sweet. While the Mexican breads, you have pan dulce, you have the conchas and all that, which are the sweet breads that you have with, with breakfast or a snack. Um, people are starting to combine them. So I'm starting to get Colombian breads that are a little sweeter and drier, more like the Mexican. So these new cuisines are being created. Right before your eyes. Yeah. That must be exciting. Uh, yeah. I Snyder, you mentioned that your mom got her start with a Colombian pushcart. You're from Colombia originally. Yes. So I'm wondering, what was her speciality? You know, you, you talk like she's cooking for the whole neighborhood, too, cooking for all the kids. But well, when she's when she's starting out, when she's working, what was her speciality that people just blew their minds? They can't believe, oh, this is so great. So, so my mom... Uh, you know, she was uh, her story is that she was a judge in Colombia. She was a lawyer. She was in law. She moved to United States. Doesn't have her law degree anymore. So she started making food uh, to sell to survive and feed the kids and all that. Uh, very traditional immigrant story, right? And and she started making arepas. And arepas is are uh, is a cornbread, is a corn cake, so to speak, that you put on the grill. Uh, and then we can have them fatty, round, plumpy, thin, flat, as big as a 12-inch record, you know, flat and thin that you use as a plate. Unlike tortillas that fold, arepas, the, the, that arepa I'm describing doesn't fold. So you put your food on top of it. You can put carne desmechada, uh, shredded beef, full pork, um, roasted chicken, whatever you want. And you put it on top and you put your, your tomatoes and all that and your hot sauce and all that. Um, so she started making arepas, the cheese arepa, arepa de queso, and the choclo arepa, which was, she was the first person who managed to do that in, in the States, here in New York. Uh, the arepa de choclo is the sweet corn arepa. Um, and, and she started selling those, and she became a hit. Um, she became very, very popular in the neighborhood. People who migrated here without their families started calling her mom. So she becomes this de facto mom to all these people, to this community. And we also have the second largest LGBTQ community in New York. The first one being in Manhattan by Chelsea. Uh, but ours, of course, reflects our community. So it's very diverse. They also adopted her and they started calling her mom. Hmm. Um, and so she becomes this icon in the neighborhood. And then eventually a food writer, Jim Lev from Chahan, found her and started writing about her. And they coined the term the saintly arepa lady ah. so she she's not just the arepa lady she's the saintly arepa lady um really strong woman um really independent one of the things about her pushcart is that she worked when she wanted and she opened it and and people will say i'm in a hurry and she will say well the food is not ready i'm not gonna let but you know people have these low expectations from a pushcart and she'll be no 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 i'm not gonna let a single arepa leave my pushcart unless it's done the way I think is perfect. So you have to wait. This is, this is, it's, 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 it's fast food, but it's not bad food. And it's, it's going to be good food and it's not going to be as fast as you think, like already pre-made or whatever. No, we're going to, you know. So she became an icon and then she, you know, the New York Times run a, a front page of the food and one section with her when she was still a push car. Uh, just doing the arepas. And then she eventually got a license. She started without a license. She moved to a licensed cart. And then they opened uh, a couple of brick and mortars. Um, so quite the American success story. Um, we started as, undoc as, as undocumented, actually. I was not documented at, at that point. And we became documented U.S. citizens. 
Um, they employ a lot of people now. They are doing quite well. So yeah, she built she built her dream with with arepas, really good arepas, stuff with really good meat, really good cheese, and a few cheese kebabs. This is a fantastic story, Snyder. I'm so glad that you got to tell it to me. And, you know, as you're telling me the story, the thing that comes to my mind is, all right, we need to get a statue of the four Ramones. We need to get a statue of the sainted Arepa lady in Queens, too, (laughs) man, with with her and her cart, you know, bronze statue, because, you know, it sounds like she was the one who who brought this to America. And it's an important story, I I think. So, um, And and it's not... uh, and it's not just because it's my mom and all that, but it is the story very symbolic to me, to to our yes. food scene and yes, our yes. immigrant scene and our diversity, you know. And 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 I want the people who just arrived to just make it the same way. I don't want to close the doors behind me. I want to say this is what makes our food scene so strong and so beautiful, which reflects the city, which reflects this country, the diversity. And, and, you know, the amount of choices we have for food and drinks and, and all that. And what it adds to our fabric of culture, not only culinary culture, but our culture as a whole, whether it's Irish coming 150 years ago, Italians coming 100 years ago, your family coming in the 80s or Syrians coming today. You know, it right. all it all makes a richer fabric. And I know I'm not breaking any new ground with that statement, but I think it needs to be repeated from time to time. Right. And right now, for example, I just discovered that we have Romanians coming in into Jackson Heights in good numbers, which makes me really excited. And I cannot wait until they grow big enough that we'll have a Romanian push cart and a Romanian restaurant. And I know there is one in... in see, that's how small I am. And I know there is one Romanian restaurant in Long Island City, um, and and this is how small I am. I'm like, I want one 10 minutes away from me. So I have to, I can walk to it. I don't have to just, you know, drive my bicycle for 10 minutes. I can just walk to it. Um, yeah. And, and I don't realize how small I am in this environment until I live in New York City. And I say, can we go out to eat? And they say, well, it's past nine. Most things are closed. And I mean, what do you mean? You know, New York City is 24-7. We, we, I want tacos at two in the morning. We can get tacos at two in the morning. I, I want momos you know um and you know they'll say oh there'll be a dennis open by my god no 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 no, no. <laughs> you know that won't do i want to walk into a place where people are screaming at me in hindi about where i can sit and i'll be maybe the only non-indian uh, person in the restaurant ordering the spices curry or the, the, the spices thai dish you know um and and it's funny i, I one of my local uh, favorite uh, local grocery stores a thai grocery store Mom has decided not to speak English to me. She decided I need to learn some Thai. So she's already taught me how to say hello, goodbye, thank you, how much is this? And she's every time I come in and I practice and I forget, she scolds me. And I remember, she's like, yes, you're doing great. And she gives me a little sweet. So I know if I I say things properly, I'm going to get a little coconut rice with tapioca pudding. (laughs) Perfect. Well, this has been a a great, an illuminating conversation, E. Snyder. Um, and, you know, I think we could talk for hours about this. I think maybe once there's Romanian street carts going up and down your block, we'll have you back and talk about them. Wouldn't but uh, for now, thanks for being on the show. It's been great talking to you. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, we only, and, and, and to let you know, we only scratched the surface. We haven't even walked towards Rigo Park where we'll have the Bukharian Jewish community and we can talk about that. Or, or Richmond Hill where you'll find the, the Indo-Caribbean community and we can get roti there. I mean, we just started at the very core and we can keep expanding for hours on end, trying food, trying drinks. And, and yeah, we could go on and on. So thank you so much. Okay, there you go. I think my head is spinning from everything in Queens. If you're thinking about New York this summer, make sure Queens is a part of your visit. I've got a link to East Snyder's food tour with Culinary Backstreets in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED134. I've also got a link to East Snyder's band information as well as the places he talked about on the show. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we are ramping up for the 4th of July with an episode that is all about beer. Until then, get your virtual self over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about a unique cheese from Sicily. Read that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and head Arapa maker Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 